podcast. It's Tuesday, February 19th, 2019. And guys, welcome to the Fritzcast. If this is your first time at the Fritzcast, this is a wacky zany program in which I, Fritz, a 29-year-old, soon-to-be 30-year-old, soon-to-be father, breaks down what's happening in the world from what I believe is, is, a, is a growing perspective, a, a growing different perspective than what you would get on, I don't know, flipping on CNN, NBC, any of the news media outlets. I mean, I'm just a dude at the end of the day. I am a guy. I'm a guy. I'm a guy. I'm a guy. I'm just a dude who has an interest in politics and current events for some godforsaken reason. I don't know why. I always have. And I try to do I try to tackle these subjects with with a libertarian or libertine view of the world, of how I think the world should work, what I think are, you know, what what I think's going wrong in America. How I think people's approaches are wrong, you know that type of thing. And I mean, there, there, there's. It's almost like there's two schools of thought. You're either like, it's it's amazing some of the conversations you'll have with people and the perspectives that you'll unlock from people. Because when people ask me, don't don't you think that the government should just take care of your health care and that you shouldn't have to worry about it? Like, don't don't you think that that's how life should go for you? And I always say no. I always no. I don't expect the government to do a lot for me because I have a core belief of what the government's supposed to do. You know, that's that's the approach that I like to have on Fritzcast. And I'll say it right now, too. I apologize if this episode is a little more crammed and a little shorter than the other episodes. Um, You know, I did just go over something like some big life changes have happened, for example. Uh, like I said, I'm going to be a father. And that is something that, like, every day strikes me uh, in such a way. It, it, it amazes me, and it's like every day is a new day. Um, a, a couple of, uh, like, about a month ago or so, we really, we figured out on January 1st. That was the at-home pregnancy test that came back positive, was January 1st. It was a great way to ring, ring in the new year, to be hopeful and optimistic that that was true. Then I went to every doctor's appointment, uh, every ultrasound slash sonogram, whatever they call it. Um, It is an ultrasound. That's what it's called. That's what it really is. I'm no doctor, but it's an ultrasound. I've gone to every one of them. I've seen the heartbeat on screen, and then just last week I was able to hear the heartbeat for the first time, and it really struck me, I mean, deep in my heart, for real, this is not me trying to be goofy or, or sentimental or, uh, you know, uh, overly emotional on it. I'm not just seriously speaking. Hearing the baby's heartbeat on on the monitor was like next level. Like hit me in the chest. Like oh, we got something coming that we're gonna be responsible for. That you know and and but just I mean it, without getting too detailed. For the program yet, because I don't know if my you know wife wants me to get all detailed and, and, and things of that nature. We struggled to get to this point. Um, and that's actually, once, if you're in that boat, you you come to find out that uh, 
that it is a common issue. Among couples trying to get pregnant, uh, there's a struggle, and it's common. And it's not, uh, you know, maybe it was because in high school I watched, for lack of a better, I, I watched people getting pregnant left and right in high school. And I'm sure a lot of people in my generation have. I'm sure those of us under the age of 30, I can still say that until May. Um, and then you'll notice in May I'll start saying things like, for people 30 and under, that's what I'll start doing. Instead of saying, like, back in my day. You know, people in our age group probably are, are used to the concept, probably went to high school, probably saw teenage pregnancy um, not as wholly uncommon, like not as, you know, maybe still has the taboos of it, but not wholly uncommon, at least for me. I saw it a couple of different times. You know, it happened. And I thought, it, in my in my teenage days, I thought, man, if I have, you know, if I get into, you know, fooling around with anybody, I better be careful because it seems like this isn't that hard <laughs> to get, to, to have a kid pop out. And then you, you become an adult, you get married, and then you decide you want to have a family like that. It, it turns out there's a lot of science behind this body stuff. It's weird. It's very weird. There's a lot of science, you know. You start reading up. You start reading that there's only really like two days out of the month or three days out of the month. There's a small window in which you can, you know, conceive. And if it's not in that window, then you go to the next round next month. You know, that's that's how it kind of works. And it's, you know, I never knew that. Never, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure they taught it in health class in high school, but... Were we paying attention or were we just laughing at the fact that the health teacher was putting a condom on a banana? You know? Yeah. I don't know. We were probably laughing at the teacher putting a condom on a banana. Probably. Anyway. So you go through this, you know, you go through this long process. For me and my wife, uh, you know, I'm talking years. A couple of years. um, Four years, to be exact. And, uh, I mean, we were getting ready to do next phase testing and everything. For and that was kind of like that was that was an emotional, hard hitting time because it's one of those things where I know I don't know people tend to like try to ignore things when they're not going the way they want them to because they think like if I ignore it it's not actually a problem you know that kind of thing and then it you know it turns out that you know that that that, that could be a factor in it there could be a lot of different factors in it but in any case me and my wife got a little healthier ourselves individually. And lo and behold, before we even had to do next phase testing, boom, there's a baby in there. Um, and we didn't have to, we didn't have to worry about it anymore. Um, you know, it's, it's been a journey. It's been a journey for sure. And because of it, I mean, like I've always in the back of my head wanted to, you know, be a parent, be a father. And part of that is because, I mean, growing up, you know, my father passed away when I was four years old. Four years old and my dad was in his 60s at the time uh just for some perspective there's about 20 years difference between my father and my mother different generation um you don't see that a lot nowadays but different generation um my mom's you know in her 70s now and if my father was alive he would be uh in his 90s um you know, most people look at that and call that their grandfather. Uh, if my dad was alive and kicking, he'd be 90 years old, and I'd be calling him my father. 
uh, at the age of almost 30. Which is a little nuts to some people. But, you know, I mean, my father, I, I'm sure I can do an episode on my father. I would have to sit down and talk with my mother, and I would really ha- extensively have to write it out. But, you know, my father was a good man. I know that much. Um, brought helped, helped my mother bring eight children into this world, uh, which is a lot. And, by the way, my father wasn't, was not a religious man. So before anybody's like, ah... This guy's either Catholic or Mormon. I heard him say he was a Mormon. My dad was not, was never not Catholic, nor was he Mormon. Uh, I believe, if I'm right, my mom would say his first marriage, he walked in on his wife with the, uh, with the, with, with the, uh, the priest or the, the, whoever was the head of the church or whatever. Uh, he walked in on her like that. And, uh, that was that. Um, he was done with that marriage and kind of with God. So, uh, not to say that my dad was atheistic, I don't believe he was atheistic per se, but, uh, religion didn't jive with him after that. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't a religious dude, to put it easily, and, uh, that was my phone, I'm sorry, how professional of me, uh, to get notifications in the middle of my podcast, but, um, so that wasn't my dad. My mom was, uh, born and raised Catholic then converted to Mormonism, which is also not highly uncommon. Uh, but she told me, and this is the story that she sticks with, and she swears up and down, that uh, when she got married to my father, uh, she told him that she wanted to get pregnant 13 times in, as a way to uh, scare him off. And he apparently uh, took that as a challenge. So that's why there are eight of us running around uh, that, that, that came into being. I totally got side tangent there. I'm sorry. We went down a journey that we had to go down. Uh, but my father passed away when I was four years old. So I grew up without a father. Uh, I did have two older brothers. Uh, I had brothers-in-law. And I had people in the church who wanted to step in and fill that role. Um, nobody can really fill the role of your father for real. Um, that's just my perspective of it. And I can go on a tangent on that some other day. But uh, ever since I was a kid, I thought, you know, uh, if I can be a parent, I'm going to bond with my child in the way that my father couldn't bond with me because he, he wasn't here. Um, and that's a commitment I kind of made to myself in my head, and I, I, I intend to carry it out when this child arrives. So that's, I mean, then that's the fun journey update now. You know, part of the reason why this episode might be a little crash course shorter, too, is because uh, this ties into the original point. See, we what, we skewed off into this tangent, but we're coming back in. Bear with me, all right? Um, part of the reason why this episode might end up shorter, or the episodes may end up shorter um, for the next little bit, is because uh, I am working in a field where I have the opportunity to take overtimes and build up paychecks fatter and all that, and uh, you got to do what you got to do. There's some debt that I'd like to tackle. There's some things I'd like to see gone before this baby comes. So we're going to knuckle down, grit our teeth, and do it so that things can be just a little bit easier when this baby comes in. It's all right because I have uh, leave that I can take uh, when this baby arrives. Um, Consider the fact that I've been working my field for, for seven years and all that. I have lots of leave that I can take. 
uh, you know, somewhere around 12 weeks of uh, parental leave that I, I will have access to and that I intend to use. Um, libertarians can argue with me about it later. Uh, that's fine. But I <laughs> intend to take uh, every damn hour available to me to ensure that things at home are a-okay. That being said, uh, you know, uh, it it being the middle of February and all that, to, tomorrow it's apparently supposed to snow its butt off here in Delaware. I can't stand this anymore. We have one 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 day it'll be 50-degree weather. The next day it'll be 40-degree uh, weather. The next day it'll be 25-degree weather. And then it'll be sunny, and then it'll be rainy, and then it'll be snowy. I mean, what the hell? So apparently that's up for grabs tomorrow. Uh, this week there was two main topics that I wanted to hit. One of them is uh, is an example of, I think, news media hysteria. Um, believing what you hear, running away with narratives, and then you, you just you can't even scale back from it. That's one. And the other one is, uh, I guess you could say it's kind of like hypocrisy uh, in politics. We'll see where we go with this uh, with, with this discussion. But first and foremost, uh, the celebrity story, the, the the one that you know we have to talk about, everybody has to tackle it in their own you know way and all that is this juicy Smollett stuff. Uh, I, I'm probably saying the name a little bit wrong. It's uh, I think it's Jussie Smollett. Uh, I don't want to disrespect or any of that um big big story around jesse smollett he's a he's a star from empire also a former child star he's not he's no longer a child star because he's a you know full-grown adult so and one that got to continue their career uh from being a child star so let me give you a brief brief synopsis of this whole thing because i wrote this out last night um He's known for his role on the Fox show Empire and for openly being, you know, sexually fluid, but identifying himself as a gay man. I think it was back in 2015 on an episode interview with Ellen DeGeneres. He came out and said, if I had to label myself, I'm a gay man. But he went on to say that uh, he's had uh, infatuations with women before. He's not uh, he's not counting off the possibility of having a relationship with a woman. Uh, basically claiming a fluidity stance, which, by the way, to me at least anyway, that gives you direct links to the LGBTQIA community, um, somebody who is, uh, you know, an advocate uh, or somebody that speaks out about issues that could involve uh, LGBTQIA individuals and lifestyles and things of that nature. It was on January 29th that uh, Smollett alleged he was the victim of a targeted hate crime, um, alleging that sometime around 2 a.m., two unknown men walked up and initiated a physical attack on him, including hitting him in the face, pouring a chemical substance on him, and wrapping a rope around his neck, in addition to yelling racial and homophobic slurs at him. Let's stop right there for a second. Because I want to, you know, I think... To tackle this issue, <clears throat> you first and foremost have to take it bit by bit. So, if this event happened to Juicy Smollett, I would say that it is reprehensible. Anybody being attacked for their skin color, their sexual orientation, um, even even their political ideologies, 
uh, violence against people, uh, especially from you know a libertarian perspective here. Uh, you you might if you're new to this libertarian thing, you might hear people talk about the non-aggression principle or the NAP. They write it really big as NAP. Um, that is uh, do no harm to others. You know, be good, be kind, all that stuff. I believe that you should do no harm to others who are not doing harm to you. Um, somebody does harm to you, they cross that line, um, they're coming at you, or they're even threatening to come at you uh, in a physical manner. Uh, just from my training and all that, I've been taught, you know, you don't. if somebody says, I'm going to punch you in the face and they're walking up towards you, you don't let them walk up towards you and punch you in the face. If they're walking up towards you and they say they're going to punch you in the face, take them to the ground. <laughs> Because I don't want to get punched in the face. That's, I mean, I think that's common sense, right? And I think that's okay to, to stop somebody from assaulting you. And picking on somebody and attacking them over the race, their, their gender, their sexual orientation, uh, their political ideology, um, what else? Their religion, uh, somebody in their family is a dick, uh, d- any number of these things. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be a dick. You shouldn't be a bad person. That would make you a bad person, a morally reprehensible person. So if this attack happened on Jesse Smollett, it was, it was wrong, and it shouldn't have happened. However, there's been some really interesting developments in the story. <clears throat> Namely, and I'll continue on what I wrote. Uh, the, Sh- the Chicago Police Department arrested two brothers who were suspected to have a connection in this attack. But those brothers agreed to cooperate with police and alleged that they were paid by Smollett to orchestrate and stage the attack. Though, CPD spokesman Anthony Guglemi tweeted out, quote, While we are not in a position to confirm deny or comment on the validity of what's been unofficially released there are some developments in this investigation and detectives have some follow-ups to complete which includes speaking to the individual Smollett who reported the incident that was reported out by you know multiple news outlets all over the place Uh, it should be noted however that one of these brothers that was taken in turns out to be Smollett's personal trainer recently hired personal trainer for getting Smollett uh, in physical shape for an upcoming music video shoot if I'm correct in that information. And the police have evidence that uh, the brothers purchased the rope found around Smollett's neck at the local hardware store. Now before <laughs> before we dive into that angle because that's the most recent knowledge that these brothers were arrested, taken in, questioned, cooperated with police, claim that they were paid by Smollett to stage and orchestrate an attack. They have links to these guys buying the rope at a hardware store. Now, you know, these brothers, they're African-American as well. Um, and wh- I might be wrong on the personal trainer bit, but they are... They have connections to Smollett through Empire and through training at the same gym, at least anyway. There's question marks... All over this story, now CPD, the, the latest that I heard at, at, as of this moment is that CPD wants to, you know, interview Smollett again, and Smollett's kind of backing down and not wanting to, 
And then somehow, somehow, some way, this is the important part of the discussion. Um, somehow, some way, this got tied to Donald Donald Trump, make America great again. You know that thing. And initially, when I was reading up on this story and trying to figure out how it it got connected to that, and I mean for real, I was at a loss. I was like, how does this link to Donald Trump and make America great again? Like, I just because it was a just because during this attack he alleged that racial and homophobic slurs were used, is that it? Um, and people were just drawing their own conclusions. And uh, the thing is, is that it was a it was a Good Morning America interview with with Robin Roberts that uh, that he actually stated that uh, that he that he comes hard against 45 this this here's the clip why do you think you were targeted i can just assume i mean i come really really hard against 45 i come really really hard against his administration and i don't hold my tongue i don't want to ask you about jesse smollett i think that's horrible uh it doesn't get worse as far as I'm concerned. Were you aware that he made that statement? I saw it. I don't know what to say to that. You know? Um, you know, I appreciate him not brushing over it. And there is no doubt in your mind what motivated this attack. I could only go off of their words. I mean, who says empire this MAGA country ties a noose around your neck and pours bleach on you. And this is just a friendly fight. I will never be the man that this did not happen to. Mm. I am forever changed. And I don't subscribe to the idea that everything happens for a reason, but I do subscribe to the idea that we have the right and the responsibility to make something meaningful out of the things that happen to us, good and bad. So that's what he said uh, in an interview saying that, uh, you know, people were saying racial slurs to him and talking about this is MAGA country. Now, the brothers that were arrested in connection to this and then released subsequently have said that they're not anti-Trump, that they, uh, that they well, obviously they aren't racist. Um, they are African-Americans themselves. Um, and that that they were paid to pull off this as a hoax or whatever. Now, the, lots of question marks. I'm not saying it's a hoax or it's not in one way or the other, but I'm saying it's very confusing. And the problem is that the news media, the left, um, politics in general, they all took off with it. They all took off with it. They all talked about it. They all ran with it. And uh, we, 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 we've come into this thing in America I don't, it might be elsewhere in the world too, but we come to this thing in America where we report these things as though they are completely factual without even giving time for the story to develop, without getting the facts right. It's emotionally charged, it's emotionally based, and it's really hard to pump the brakes on, on your emotions on things. I get that, and I understand that. Uh, trust me, with the line of work that I work in, I've watched people emotionally react to things. 
And it's hard not to. It's hard not to react emotionally for something that you can connect with, for something that uh, sounds horrible that you might have sh- you might have a shared personal experience in. Yeah, it's hard to pump the brakes and remove yourself and, and become like a third party neutral. Like you know, you obviously want to be sympathetic to somebody. If if this if if he got attacked, legitimately, that's that's horrendous. It's horrible. Um, and the incentive to lie about such a thing, I mean, really is a, a jaded and twisted and, and conceited thing. Uh, and that would make a person sick, you know, in the head for real, but it does happen. It does happen. Things happen. Why would you allege and push a Donald Trump narrative? Now, there's another underlying story that a very hateful letter was sent to the studio in Chicago. And apparently the letter didn't get an, enough buzz. And so now one of the speculations is that uh, because that letter didn't get enough buzz, they wanted to generate something that would get buzz. And and that that's how this unfolded, because people weren't reacting enough to the letter. Um, and again, that comes down to, you know... That comes down to emotion and all that. That's just an alleged letter. I don't even know the details about that because when you're diving into something like this and trying to connect the dots yourself, like it took it, it was a long walk to figure out how this got related to Donald Trump, MAGA, you know, people like Ellen Page going on talking about Mike Pence and blaming it, putting all the blame on, on Donald Trump and all that. And then people trying to spin it now to the degree that they're like, well, even if it's not true, we still have to talk about, you know, Donald Trump and and this is this is problematic and it probably contributed to it. It's a big hairy mess. It's a big hairy mess. And I'm going to leave it at that. It's a big hairy mess. And the news media doesn't want to the news media never wants to hold themselves accountable for such things. This is always, this is the news media after every story. After the Covington Catholic story was so blown out of proportion and wrong, where so many people had so many different perspectives, and the kind of like the damage was done uh, afterward, even with facts coming to light and all that, the damage was still done because people are so staunchly in their court that they cannot be wrong. Their side couldn't possibly be wrong. That's how it ends up getting. And then you have the news media pulling these out of their behind. Yeah, the headline was so sensational and so disturbing. It first came out on TMZ, not only that Smollett said he'd been attacked, but that the attacker said, this is MAGA country. Obviously, Chicago at 2 in the morning is not MAGA country, so that didn't make sense in the first place. Lots of parts of the story didn't make sense. But activists, actors, Hollywood celebrities, friends of Smollett, Democratic presidential candidates, they all wanted to sound like they were doing the right thing, saying the right thing, standing up for a victim. There's an inherent tension in this story between uh, wanting and needing to believe victims and yet knowing that people can take advantage of that, taking advantage of the idea that it's important to, to, to believe victims. And I, that tension has been the story for weeks. There was a rush to judgment. I think it was mostly in the celebrity press and among activists and among Twitter people. Uh, I think it was a really careful reporting by news organizations. But it all gets lumped in together at the end of the day. It all gets lumped in together in the minds of many people who now look at this and say, what went wrong here? And obviously, at the end of the day, what went wrong is that he may have made it up. And ultimately, that's his responsibility. Oh. 
Now, that was Brian Steltzer from CNN, and you, you notice he walked back quickly. It was a, oh, it was the Twitter, it was a, the Democratic uh, national candidates, they wanted to stand up for a victim. Uh, that, that, that bolted it. I think, I think news media, I think we um, covered it pre- pre- pretty well. Pretty well. No. 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 You did not. You did not. And instead of standing up and saying, when you're wrong about it, that you rush to judgment, that you, you know, and that's the thing. These might be rushes to judgment, and they might not seem bad initially. But it's one of those things where we, as Americans, have to be vigilant ourselves and have to be disciplined ourselves. And that's the big question. That's the big answer that I don't know if America's even capable of, that that restraint that self-restraint and that self-discipline because there's a whole the whole other angle to that is if Jesse Smollett did fake this did hoax this did 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 scheme this up that's a lot of trouble it's a lot of trouble because now it really does impact actual victims if that's the case. It impacts actual victims because now actual victims will sit there and think in their heads, will I even be believed because this person faked it. Now I'm going to be now I'm going to be in a situation where people will think I faked it. Nobody should be a victim of these things and nobody should have to sit there and think about those angles of it. But ultimately, when we're trying to find the truth of a case, that, that's what happens, isn't it? We have to become as neutral as we possibly can to look at facts and evidence and use that. And that's really hard in a case like this, especially with the news media, especially with social media. Uh, because just as much as the news media would rush to judgment, so would social media rush to judgment. And then it becomes a game of you have Kamala Harris right now, or Kamala Harris, walking back her statements where originally she wanted to you know, stand up for a victim. Now she's walking back. I think we need to you know, figure out all the facts. Well, probably we need to figure out all the facts initially instead of just going off the cuff, as it were, with these things. And that. That's all I got to say about that. The next bit. Was Donald Trump's state of emergency. For the border wall. And this is getting ridiculous. I mean you know. Yes. There was state of emergency uh, tactics used by President Obama. You have Donald Trump coming out saying. I'm going to use. Uh, I'm going to declare a national emergency. At the southern border. So that I can build the border wall faster. There's not really even a. An emergency level like that. I'm just doing it to to make it happen faster. The border wall is probably the most contended argument in conservatism and libertarianism combined. You can find yourself some libertarians who argue in favor of the border wall as being necessary. You will find libertarians fighting against the border wall because of the expenditure from the government, how much money it would cost, 
We're libertarians. We scrutinize, we scrutinize money, especially with a $22 trillion debt. We scrutinize money. You bet your ass we scrutinize money. You see libertarians argue against the border wall in that aspect in the asset forfeiture. People's land will be taken to make such a wall. And is that right? People's property will be impeded. Libertarians are big on private property rights. There's the whole side debate of the issues that are triggered by the systems in place here in America. You might hear people talking about the welfare state and incentives for immigration. You might Those might be things that pop up. The drug war is another one that pops up. Everybody talking about the drugs that get flooded at the border. Um, there was a really good clip that I want to play, if I can find it real quick. Um, not that one. We already played that one. Shut up, phone. Here it is. Uh, Stephen Miller talking about the drug problem. And this was with uh, Chris Wallace on, on Fox. 80 to 90% of those drugs right, that are being like, seized don't come across in unfenced areas. They come from ports of entry. Those are your own Customs and Border Patrol numbers. Which is the reason why we also asked for additional resources at the ports of entry. But, but Chris, Chris, what you got? But Chris, the problem with the statement that you're apprehending 80 or 90% of drugs at ports of entry is that's like saying you apprehend most contraband at TSA checkpoints at airports. You apprehend the contraband there because that's where you have the people, that's where you have the screeners. I assure you, if we had people of that same density and screeners of that same density across every single inch and mile of the southern border, you'd have more drugs interdicted in those areas. You don't know what you don't know, and you don't catch what you don't catch. But as a matter of national security, you cannot have uncontrolled, unsecured areas of the border where people can pour in undetected. Okay. And I would, uh, one more point. I guarantee you this. If Donald Trump had said he's invoking the National Emergency Military Construction Authority, to build a security perimeter in Iraq or Afghanistan or around a military installation in Syria, there would not have been one word of objection from Congress. This is defending our own country. Now that that may be some of what he was talking about, but but specifically the port of entry, the the, the drugs at the port of entry, and he said, oh, that being seized is like the TSA seizing contraband at the checkpoints because that that's what we have in place, except. It's not a good argument, Mr. Miller, when the TSA is terrible at their jobs. Um, TSA has failed uh, practically every, every exam. Most people concede that TSA is security theater. It is the look of security. It is there. It is a deterrent because it's in place. But they have failed audits time and again. They have failed audits time and again. People will have scrutinized and criticized the TNA, the TSA up and down, left and right, since its inception. Okay? People got sympathetic towards the TSA and them not getting paid during the government shutdown when three weeks before that, two weeks earlier than that, people were posting videos going, look at these TSA agents fondling children. Like, that's exactly the world that we live in, where people want to, on one hand, 
completely scrutinize the TSA and be against them, but then become sympathetic to them because they're not getting paid during a government shutdown. But the TSA, that was a lame argument on his point because even the drugs seized at ports of entry, they still get through ports of entry. And again, it circumvents a problem. It's a black market for an illegal substance, which at the end of the day, probably shouldn't even be criminalized anymore. And why? Because prohibition kind of doesn't work in that sense. We went through prohibition with alcohol. It spawned massive crime rings because America's would not Americans would not give up their alcohol. Now America's doing the same thing with legalizing marijuana. Even if not legalizing, just the just conceding the fact that the war on drugs has been a costly endeavor that doesn't really work out. And the fact that just because somebody chooses to use a drug like cocaine or heroin doesn't inevitably harm anybody except the user. Now, if you're factoring other crimes, if it leads to other crimes like strong-arm robbery, uh, rapes, murders, whatever, those are legitimate crimes that impede on the other people's rights. But somebody just buying cocaine and doing cocaine actually harms nobody but that individual. And we've got to come to grips with the fact of, is it a crime for that person to obtain cocaine and use cocaine if they're not engaging in other active crimes and all that? That's the drug war problem. So drugs are pouring in, eh. People who don't want to do drugs aren't doing drugs anyway. It's not like if you suddenly make cocaine legal that people who have hated cocaine all their life are just suddenly going to go, oh, but it's not criminal anymore. I need to get some cocaine just to try it. Like, there's a lot of people that actually just don't care. And the people that do care get into it. We lock them up for life, or we lock them up to say that we're going to help them in their lives. But they're just behind bars for 30, 60, 90 days, a year, five years, whatever, and then they get released. And they go right back to cocaine. So it doesn't work out. The big discussion about the wall. But still we get nowhere with it. You have Ted Cruz coming up with uh, semi-brilliant ideas of, you know, hey, we just uh, we just convicted El Chapo. He has $15 billion in assets that we could liquidate. And we could use that to build the wall. Because that's just money that we came across. I mean... I mean, honestly, look, outside the box, kind of different. Maybe it could work. But at the end of the day, I still think the wall is stupid. I think that it will be not a deterrent. Well, you know, could it could it curb that a little bit? Maybe, but ultimately, no. Um, I think it's the I think it's the current setup of the state and the welfare state. That's what I think that needs to be tackled. There was one other thing uh, that happened this week. What was... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and New York politicians. uh, uh, Amazon 180 on the deal for Headquarters 2 to go in New York. Uh, 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and other New York Democrats championed the fact that uh, Amazon had 180'd and decided not to build their headquarters and uh, put 25,000 jobs out there to New Yorkers that were going to pay $15 minimum wage uh, to workers. Uh, they championed the fact that they, that they did that because of the fact that Amazon wasn't going to be paying uh, $33 billion in taxes or something along those lines. Uh, but didn't really care about the economic development and growth that it would uh, happen, you know? Um, so Amazon's going to take its headquarters and its 25,000 jobs elsewhere, I suppose. Um, and I guess that'll be good for somewhere else. While New York tries to backtrack and write it off as a good thing that, uh, that they kept Amazon headquarters out of New York. I still am having trouble wrapping my head around that one, but I don't want to dive into it because I am out of time. So, guys... I love you. Thank you for listening. Catch me at FritzQS, F-R-I-T-Z-Q-S on Twitter. Facebook.com slash the FritzCast. We are on multiple platforms across the internet. You can listen to this podcast anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. SoundCloud, Google, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, where all other podcasts are sold. Uh, if you need to reach me directly, it's FritzCastPodcast at gmail.com. I hope you all have a wonderful week. And I'll see you all next week on the Fritzcast.